0: This is the message given by Pastor Peter Sim during the evening worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for December thirty first, two thousand twenty three. The title of the message is "Rejoice, Pray, Thank." Good evening, everyone. It's uh, good to be with you all. Uh, why don't we uh, open up to First Thessalonians chapter five, verses twelve to twenty eight. In about six and a half hours, we'll get to uh, next year. If you're up for it, we could do that together. <laughs> it will be a little bit long, but uh, let's uh, give careful and reverent attention to the reading of God's Word. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Well, uh, the focus of today is going to be verses 16 through 18, but I wanted to read 12 to 28 just to give a full context, a full background to uh, the passage itself. Uh, Because I think oftentimes we look at verses 16 through 18, and we tend to just focus on those three verses there. But again, just to kind of give a a fuller picture of those verses. Uh, But what I want you to uh, notice, and we're going to look at a lot of scripture actually this evening. Um, One of the questions I think that we often ask ourselves, uh, probably if not the most often asked question, is what is God's will for me? Right, what is the Lord's will for me? Whether we're mature in our faith or just beginning, right? We're often wondering. I think this question, whether it's big decisions in life or little decisions, right? We always want to. We're always asking, "What does the Lord want? What does the Lord want for me to do here? Right. What would be pleasing to God?" And I think that's a it's a good question to ask. It, it I think it's reflective of the heart of um, I want to do what's pleasing to the Lord. Now, consider how much the contrast between the way things worked in the Old Testament versus the way things work now in the New Testament. And what I mean by that is, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, you had something called urim, urim, and thumim. Uh, we find this in 1 Samuel 14. And essentially, they are like two die, uh, dice where you would roll them to find out What is God's will? You would roll them to see, do we do this? Do we not do this? Uh, And so essentially, and and even there, it could only be done by the high priest. It wasn't done by everyone. Uh, Essentially, the high priest is rolling die, right, in in the tabernacle. And and, uh, as he's doing that, he's trying to figure out what is God's will, right? What is God's will? But once we come to the New Testament, in this New Testament era, now that we have with Christ's coming. Right? Hebrews 10.7 explains that uh, Christ fulfills God's will in such a way that he now reveals for us very clearly through the written word of God what the will of God is. Right? That's Hebrews 10.7. Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 2 explains long ago at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. So when we ask the question of what is God's will for me, right, as uh, we think about these New Testament passages that we're about to look at, uh, that how now in Christ Jesus, as, as God has revealed his will in Christ Jesus, as, you, as he has revealed his will through his word, right, including today's passage, as we understand, this is what God wants for me. This is what God wants me to, uh, to be, to be like, to live uh, in such a way. And again, we think about our passage, right, verse 16, uh, about rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. And I want us to really think about those three things, right? Especially, again, as we say, what is the Lord's will for me? And, and as, as I expand on that a little bit here, uh, what is God's will for me? We know it's those three things, but I want you to see this passage um, as far as that phrasing, what is the Lord's will? The Lord's will is, it's, there's only a few places in Scripture where this actually comes out, where it's, it's phrased in that way. Uh, and so we find that, for instance, in Romans twelve two, 2. Um, we could go there together if, if, if you can do that. Uh, Romans twelve two. If not, just listen real carefully to that. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. Being transformed, becoming less and less like the world, being more and more in tune with God's word, more and more in tune with what the Lord desires to understand what is good and acceptable and perfect. Another passage, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You see a little bit of that similarity with our own passage today about not quenching the Spirit, but be filled with the Spirit. You also have this language of submission here, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, in 1 Peter 2, verses 13 to 15, it talks about submitting to the government. Be subject to the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And that means, because we submit even to the government, but also uh, this idea of, of loving the Lord, that it also means that we may suffer for doing what is good. First Peter chapter 4, verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will— Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Right? It's a difficult reality for us, right? We will suffer according, right? We will suffer uh, doing God's will. It says that it is God's will for us to suffer on occasion, especially to do what is right. And more explicitly, this kind of sanctification, this kind of uh, doing what is right and, and, and uh, giving ourselves to the Lord, uh, I think it's very, um, something that we should keep in mind, especially as First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And it gets very specific here, that you abstain from sexual immorality. I, this is a tough one. Right a lot of us if not all of us struggle with this because it can hit you as young as an adolescent 10 years old and still struggling it struggling with this till you're 90 and yet Paul connects our sanctification doing God's will directly to holy sexual godliness And then we have our passage today 1 Thessalonians 5:16 to 18 again Right? This is the Lord's will for us. Rejoice always, rejoicing always, pray unceasingly, and giving thanks in all circumstances. Right? And one of the things that we need to understand is that these are not negotiable. These are commands. These are commands that God gives. Right? It's something that we must do. It's not something that's being suggested. It's a good idea if we do it. We are to rejoice always. Pray unceasingly and give thanks in all circumstances. Again, the emphasis on that language of always. In all circumstances, unceasingly. These are commands that God gives. And of course, we want to understand what exactly the Lord's will concerning this is. Right? Because that there is uh, this language of always and ceasingly and in every circumstances, it tells us, it tells us that our rejoicing, our praying, and our thanking, giving thanks, it is not based upon our circumstances You don't rejoice depending how good things are or how bad things are. You're not praying based on whether things are good in your life or things are bad in your life. You're not giving thanks based on whether things are good or bad. They're not circumstantial. Rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks is to always be true of you regardless of your circumstances. Now Let's try and digest that a little bit. Right, let's break this down a little bit further. Uh, and so let's think about that phrasing of, of rejoice always. If I were to ask you, what is the shortest verse in the New Testament? Right, we all say Jesus wept. Right? It's grilled into our minds, Jesus wept. But that's in the English. In the Greek, it's actually this verse here. Uh, and it's 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 by like letters. It's not by words, but like by letters, by like um, a letter or two, um, in in Greek. And so we have rejoice always. Actually, as the shortest verse, and again, uh, it's a command, and it's in the present tense, meaning you are to rejoice right now in the moment, and you are to keep rejoicing. Right? It's this continual action of rejoicing. No situation can stop you from rejoicing. Now you hear that and it sounds, what in the world? That's just impossible. Well, I think here Philippians 4.4 is helpful because it also says rejoice always, but it includes the phrase rejoice in the Lord always. It's this idea of delighting in Christ that you are comforted by his presence. It means that despite what you're going through, you know that you are loved, you are cared for, you are watched over. Rejoicing in the Lord means that you are rejoicing based upon what Christ has done for you. And this is what we need to understand. That work that Jesus did, it never stops applying to you. What Jesus did on the cross, what he did in his life, what he did as he resurrected from the dead, none of that ever stops applying to you. Therefore, it's not dependent on your achievements, your accomplishments, your performance in life. You can rejoice. In a sense, it's taken out of your hands. It's not dependent upon your circumstances, whether you can meet it or not. It's dependent upon whether or not what Christ has done applies to you. And so something I think we sometimes confuse, and and there's a couple things here, is that we sometimes confuse happiness for joy. Happiness is dependent upon your circumstances. Are you happy? Well, today I am. Yesterday I wasn't. But rejoicing, being joyous in the Lord, rejoicing is not dependent on those circumstances. It's dependent upon whether uh, whether, uh, what Christ has done applies to us. Do we understand that? And so it's not so much about breathing techniques. A um, real famous one, I think, right now, where it's been going on for a while, the Westoff breathing method. Uh, he he goes into the like, Arctic Ocean and freezing below temperature waters, and he just breathes, and he's able to survive that. Um, other Other, I think, things that people really seem to use to try and become joyful is they will travel traveling is a good thing the breathing techniques are a good thing it's not a bad thing right traveling is a good thing experiencing new things are those are all good things the problem is that we need to understand is again that our rejoicing is not something you manufacture it is the f- part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's something that uh, is produced by the Spirit. It is, therefore, because it's the fruit of the Spirit, supernatural. It's not, in that sense, natural. It's not something that we produce, but it's something supernatural. It is a gift that God gives. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And by fruit, I know we, we I think a lot of times we tend to say fruits of the Spirit, um, but i'm going to say no it is fruit of the spirit therefore love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control all of these things it's not fruits but it is one fruit and it has all these different aspects to it and it is supernatural it's not it's not our personality right you know people that are very gentle very kind we're not talking about personalities What we're talking about is a fruit of the Spirit in which all of these things are cultivated together, joy being one of them. And so because all of these things are are, are part of this one fruit that is being produced in us, it is, a give, it is a God-given gift. It is by his grace that he gives to you because you have received this, uh, the achievements of what Christ has done. Right? And so in being able to rejoice, it means that we need to understand this salvation. It means we need to understand uh, this, this grace that God has immersed us in. And therefore, if we want to grow in our joy, we need those means that God has given to us to help us grow in that, which are the word, prayer, Lords or sacraments. And I'm going to throw this in based on Acts 242, Christian community. And I think oh, it's, it's, it's ironic because a lot of times people say, I, yeah, I'm just, I don't have this joy in my life. I don't read. I don't pray. I don't participate in the sacraments. Getting baptized doesn't really seem to matter. Participating in the Lord's Supper doesn't matter. And then I am arms distant from the church. No wonder we're lacking in joy. And so this idea of, again rejoice always. It's not dependent upon our circumstances, but it is dependent upon what Christ has done. Does that apply to you or not? And if it does, it means you're a believer. As believers, we have this joy. And what Paul wants us to do is rejoice then, because you have this joy that Christ has accomplished for you. Well, what about praying unceasingly? Let's let's think about praying unceasingly because by no means does this verse suggest that we are to drop everything, go to the mountains and pray all day, every day, and don't stop until Jesus returns. Now, I say that because I actually had a friend in junior high whose mother did that very thing. She left her family, she went up into the mountains expecting for Christ to return at any moment. It was one of those uh, cultish um, groups that said Christ was returning on a specific date. She left everything, left her family, and as a result, this friend had a very hard time with church and and the gospel, uh, made it very difficult. But I bring this up because Thessalonians actually is in the context of Christ's return. And so you see earlier in a passage where it talks about admonish the idle, admonish those who are lazy. There are people who will just um, forsake all their responsibilities, abdicate the responsibilities, saying, you know, I'm not going to do any of this. I'm just going to go up into the mountain. This is real holiness. And and sometimes we have a group of people that do that still today. We call them monks, right? Or or sometimes people, this idea of just completely uh, taking yourself out of society creating your own society within a society, right? No, right? As we expect Christ to return, this does not mean that somehow we are uh, forsaking everything else and we're just gonna sit there and we're just gonna pray 24 seven. That is not what this means, right? Praying unceasingly does not mean that. Instead, I want us to listen to several verses that talk about, again, what does praying unceasingly mean? Romans chapter one, verse nine and 10. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. He is praying for the Romans. It's not that he's praying every single minute, because it's clear that he prayed for many other things for the Roman Christians. But it's this idea that he did not quit praying for them. He didn't stop mentioning them in his prayers. And why do I point that out? Because the Roman Christians were one of the most frustrating groups of people. Why? It wasn't that they were living in an insidious way the way the Corinthians were. But what was the real problem with Rome? It's ironic. Paul's greatest defense for justification by faith alone is given to the Roman Christians. To Rome. See... These groups of Christians, their doctrine of of how am I, how does God accept me? Do I need to add something to my faith in order for God to accept me? Or does God accept me because of what Christ has done through faith? Well, it became very, very tiresome for Paul as he's interacting with these Christians. But he didn't quit praying for them. He didn't quit praying for them. It could be very, very easy for us to become so frustrated with certain groups of people, with certain people, perhaps in this congregation. Maybe, perhaps, as we look back to verse 12, where it talks about, uh, respect those who labor among you. There's a couple of elders here. Right? And it's like, oh, yes, that elder. Oh, Pastor. It's very easy, I think, for us to become uh, a bit jaded, a bit uh, cynical. Maybe there are other people in the congregation where uh, we become very frustrated with them, and it's very easy for us to take this attitude of, you know what, forget them. No. You know what, you you be over on that side of the sanctuary, I'm going to be over on this side of the sanctuary. Other passages as well. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, right? Again, the context of suffering, because you are suffering, it, be, it can be very easy to just say, you know what? I'm going to stop praying. It's too overwhelming. There's too many things going on with my life, right? I've gotten too busy or, or, or uh, because of uh, the amount of persecution that, that is going on. I, I just can't handle it. It's too hard. Colossians four two Continue steadfastly in prayer Being watchful in it With thanksgiving He also addresses this thanksgiving part But being watchful I point that out because of what Ephesians 6.18 then says Praying at all times in the spirit With all prayer and supplication To that end Keep alert with all perseverance Making supplication for all the saints right? I think sometimes we become very tempted Because Okay, I'm going to pray. And I think it's easiest I'm going to pray as I'm getting ready for bed. And maybe we put our head down on the pillow. And the next thing you know, you hear the alarm. It's tomorrow morning. Right? Maybe you call out our father and then it's the next day. Right? And and or perhaps uh, a better way maybe to put that is oftentimes we will pray and this is a term that has become very, um, a lot of people like to use it, I am multitasking. What you're really saying is, I'm not focused on anything. My attention is divided amongst five different things, and it's not completely focused on one thing. And so when we talk about multitasking and prayer, right, it's led, I think, to a very lackadaisical, very, uh, perhaps a lazy attitude in our prayer life. Paul talks about keep alert. Keep alert. Again, think about that contrast between Jesus' prayer life and the disciples in the garden. I mean, they are just falling asleep as he is praying, knowing that this is the last time he's going to be praying before he goes to the cross. First Timothy 2, verses 1 and then verse 8. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And then verse 8, I desire then that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Made for all people, all different kinds of people, without anger or quarreling. And again, it's very easy for us. To become so overwhelmed, so consumed uh, with what's wrong with someone that the idea of praying for them, lifting up holy hands together, it, it's just something that might even rub us the wrong way. And we just don't want to do that. Right? The idea of praying for someone that you just don't exactly get along with. Do that. Pray for someone that you just don't get along with. Paul in his own prayer life says it this way, Colossians 1.3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. It's this idea that, God, that, that Paul is actually thankful for you as he's praying to God, always thanking God for you even. Can you imagine doing that? being thankful to God for that person. Lord I am so thankful for my spouse. I'm so thankful for my children. I'm so thankful for my parents. I'm so thankful for my for my coworkers, for my boss, for that neighbor Colossians 1.9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Right? The idea of quitting praying for others. Right? Are there people that we just will not pray for any longer? Whether it's we have our own stuff to deal with because of persecution, Right? We've just become too busy with our lives. We have too many things going on. And so we essentially are now saying, you know what, I'm not going to really be praying anymore for this person or that person. And, and you often hear this too when it comes to uh, deconversion stories. How many times do we hear a person say, I asked God for something specific. He didn't answer me. And that's why I walked away. There are countless stories like that. You know, in fact, and and I've received permission from uh, Elder Sanjay Patel at at Theophilus. Uh, He actually was praying. Uh, He had heard that his father had fallen and and, uh, because of a stroke was in the hospital. And he was praying that, Lord, would you enable him to... Stay conscious until I get there. He had to fly across, um, across the globe. I think he was in, either he was in India or, or his father was in India. And, and as he was going to travel back uh, to see him at the hospital, and he didn't make it. Now, at that point, because this is the same story that you hear with a lot of people, where you can either at that point say, you know what, Lord, you didn't hear my prayer, you didn't answer it, and so you're not going to answer it, then I'm going to walk away. But the point that Paul is making here is pray unceasing. Do not stop interrupting your prayer. Keep praying. Pray steadfastly, regardless of your circumstances. See, and I think that's what we need to remember, regardless of our circumstances. Or is it that we only go to God in prayer when we need something? We're only going to talk to God when we need something. I'm only going to go to God when I have a request. Again, it's like this idea of saying, I'm only going to talk to my spouse when I need something from, well, my kids, from her. How's that marriage going to go? I'm only going to talk to my kids when I need something from them. I'm only going to talk to my parents when I need something from them. A couple younger ones. Again, this idea, is it our circumstances that are dictating whether or not we're going to pray? Or is it this idea that we're going to continue to pray? We're not going to quit. We're going to pray for all people. Even when we're persecuted. Having this, uh, in that sense, uh, this continual steadfastness in our prayers. In this sense, it's very instructive when we think about the Old Testament. The Old Testament would pray in such a way where there were these intentional times in the day. Uh, Daniel 6.10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows and his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Right, and this would explain why the early church, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, uh, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Right? This is right before Pentecost. And then told specifically again in Acts 3, 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. There were these intentional times that you would uh, pocket, you would create in the day in order to pray. And, And so this idea then of praying unceasingly, making these very intentional, specific times to go to God in prayer, a very fervent, very intentional, purposeful sense where we're not multitasking, but we're devoted to prayer. And again, bringing back up uh, Acts 2.42, it talks about that very thing. These are the things that the early church were committed, devoted to doing. The apostolic teaching, they were committed to the apostolic teaching, they were committed to that community uh, fellowship, they were committed committed to breaking bread, and they were committed, devoted to praying. Especially again, as, as the year is closing out, like literally, as the year is closing out, as 2023 is co- coming to an end, as 2024 is going to begin, right? That this would be an opportunity where we are really, really devoted to praying, committed to praying, having those uh, intentional times, and not just lackadaisically falling asleep, right? Multitasking, but praying and not quitting in prayer. It may take 20 years for a prayer. To be answered. It may take an entire life. Actually, you may not even see it answered in your life. But you will not quit. Well, what about this giving thanks in all circumstances? I think in this way it's very helpful to contrast uh, people that Paul specifically says don't give thanks. So there's actually a group of people that Paul says they don't give thanks to God. They're not thankful people. As you're sitting there wondering, who are those people? Who are these people that don't give thanks to God? Well, Romans chapter 1, it's a very famous uh, section. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, and then also verse 25. Verse 21 says this, For although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. See, in other words, what Paul is doing, he's contrasting the believer versus the non-believer. The believer who worships and gives thanks to God versus the non-believer who, what, serves creatures rather than the creator. Now, again, we look at this and we think, oh, yeah, well, that does, does that really apply to me? Well, I know Pastor James has been bringing this up. Right? But it's this idea of what are those things in our lives that we have created in our hearts that we think we need in order to feel like we're something and significant in this world? What are those things that we think we need in order to be satisfied? If I just had that one thing in my life, then I know my life is significant. Then I know my life is worthwhile. Then I know my life can, uh, th- that there's a sense of, again, satisfaction. See, because of these idols that are so rampant, running around in our hearts, because they're so, we're, we're so indulged in these other things that we would rather, than we don't have, in a sense, give, have the time to give thanks to God. instead, our worship, our honoring, our reverence is being given to all these other things. Now I want you to listen to uh, Psalm 50. Psalm 50, verses 22 and 23. This is right before the famous Psalm 51. Right before. This is uh, put right there before David confesses his, um, before God because of his sin with Bathsheba, with Psalm 51. But Psalm 50, the last couple of verses there, verse 22 says, Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there is none to deliver. And then verse 23, the one who offers thanksgiving is a sacrifice, as a sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. In other words, those who forget God on the one hand versus those who are thanking God. See, this idea here, I think, for for us too often, we get this, this, this sense of, of this, this notion that Uh, giving thanks, right? Giving thanks. We give thanks to God, but because we're so consumed with our idols, we can't give him thanks. And I want you to see where this leads us to. Because we're so consumed with our idols, uh, we are now, in this sense, we become filled with anxiety because we're trying to perform in such a way to make sure that these good things keep coming. We become very filled with that anxiety. And and the reason I'm I'm bringing this out is because when we talk about anxiety and giving thanks, and this is now becoming, uh, scientifically, it's becoming uh, studied more and more, where they are now acknowledging that giving thanks and uh, being filled with anxiety occur in the same spot in the brain. And because it occurs in the same spot in the brain, you cannot be one... You cannot be both at the same time. You're either anxious or you're giving thanks. It's one or the other. And so you think about a passage again, going back to like Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but rather go to God in prayer, right? Rejoicing the Lord, always giving thanks, right? It's, it's, you're either going to be giving thanks or you're going to be filled with anxiety. But when we are filled with thanksgiving, when we are filled with thanksgiving to our creator, to our God, then we are unable, in in a sense, to be filled with anxiety. Because now we're not filled and consumed with those idols that we're running after, and instead we are filled with, again, moving towards the Lord. We don't express thanks to God because we've forgotten God. Right These idols, a lot of people say nowadays, they live rent free in our heads and in our hearts, and that is what is dictating our thanksgiving and so to give thanks always is this idea of, of understanding uh, who is this God, who is this God. It is, it is not giving myself over to these idols, but instead giving myself to God, becoming thankful so that I'm not filled with this anxiety because I can't perform in a certain way. I cannot uh, bring my accomplishments and achievements in all circumstances. So what does all this mean? Um, I'm, I'm glad that Elder Eric mentioned that Pastor Troxell's coming next week uh, because he actually wrote a book His book is called With All Your Heart. And he actually, I think, did a series of studies at a family camp a couple years back. I'm pretty sure he did. (laughs) Um, But I want to read a quote to you from uh, his his book here. Uh, Failing to do what we know is right is serious because we are falling short of loving God with all our heart. If we fail to do what our parents ask, miss our devotions, decline to apologize, refuse to forgive, withhold our love, ignore public worship, or neglect telling the whole truth, then we are omitting part of our obedience and sinning against God's commands. We can try to hide behind excuses like, but I didn't do anything, or the time-honored classic, I forgot, but we are still to blame. Such excuses often mask our passive rebellion, laziness, cowardice, and lack of diligence. So one of the things, again, we have to understand with rejoice always, pray unceasingly, give thanks in all circumstances. We hear that and we realize these are commands that God gives. So therefore, we are to, again, do this at all times. Well, I forget to do that. But, you know, I do it most of the time. What do we do with these commands? Because as we hear those commands, they can be very, very heavy and cause us to have a tremendous amount of guilt. When we start realizing this passive rebellion, this laziness in our hearts, this cowardice, this lack of diligence in our hearts. Which is why, which again is why, when we think about these commands that God gives, it's not that we're going to say, okay, here's part of my New Year's resolution. Next year, here we go. I'm ready to go. I'm going to try a little bit harder. I'm going to give it the old heave-ho. I'm ready to go after it. I'm even going to surround myself with a couple people to help me through this. Because we are guaranteed we are going to fail again and again. Rather, the whole point of this is an understanding that Christ himself is the one who did these things. He is the one who rejoiced always. He is the one who prayed uh, unceasingly in all circumstances. He is the one who gave thanks in all circumstances, even as he was heading to the cross, as Hebrews 12 tells us. He considered it pure joy to go to the cross for us. And so what we are called to do is cling to understanding this is what Christ has done on our behalf. And therefore, because he has done this for us, we will now, in great gratitude, do these very things as well. And so what we have to ask is, is there anything that is going to prevent me from rejoicing always? Is there anything that's going to prevent me from praying unceasingly? Is there anything that's going to prevent me from giving thanks to God in all circumstances? Well, if there is, then let's remove those things. Let's remove those idols. Let's remove those things that is going to prevent me uh, from seeking after Christ, clinging to his promises. Anything that makes me say that Christ and his church is just not that important. Anything that causes that passive rebellion in me, anything that causes that laziness in me, anything that causes that, let's remove those things and let us seek and chase after him, cling to those promises uh, with with such uh, urgency and desperation, holding on to him. Because when we think about it, isn't this exactly what Christ has done for us? There was nothing that got in the way of him doing these things for our sake. There is nothing that got in the way of Christ himself rejoicing. There's nothing that got in the way of of praying in all circumstances. I mean, he even got away from the crowds at times in order to pray, intentional times of prayer. He gave thanks in all circumstances. Christ did all of these things for us. And that is a life that we are now being transformed into. That is a life where we are now in this this world. That we are now living. Rejoicing always. Praying unceasingly. Giving thanks in all circumstances. We know this is the will of God for our lives. And this is why we're going to live these things out now. And when we fail, we go back to him. We cling to those promises. Knowing that he forgives us, we go back to him. Delighting in Christ, delighting in his presence, knowing that he cares for us, loves us, and watches over us. And we are thankful for having a community that allows us to be able to delight in Christ together. And we do this until he returns, and we will be steadfast in that. We extend ourselves, again, so that there is nobody in the congregation where we say, you know what, whether he's here or not doesn't matter, forget him. But together as a congregation here in this particular church, faith, OPC, but also when we think about the regional church, and we think about the denomination. Right, we think about God's people all throughout the world. But it begins here, right? It begins here with us here as, as we are, uh, again, desirous to rejoice always, pray unceasingly, and give thanks in all circumstances. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that it's because Christ has done these things, He did it on our behalf, He did it because we can't do it perfectly. And yet, Lord, because He did these things, because He did these things for us, and as our life is being more and more transformed to His, that we live our lives in such a manner as well. And so, Lord, as 2024 does come around, literally in in hours, our desire is to seek after You, our desire is to do all things for Your glory. Our desire is to give ourselves to you, to you and your people. And so, Lord, we know, we know that life can get, has the ups and downs. Life can get frustrating. People can be messy. And your, your grace is sufficient. And so we pray, oh Lord, that, uh, that we would continue to persevere, continue to strive with one another. Arm in arm together, lifting up holy hands to you in prayer on behalf of your people here, on behalf of uh, this congregation. Lord, we pray that you would, uh, that you would, that this congregation here would really grow in grace, would really embrace and be immersed in that grace. That in doing so, that it would be a light and salt to the people here in Long Beach. And that we pray that, uh, that many would come to know Christ, through the presence of uh, Faith Faith Church here in Long Beach. We pray that you would be with everyone here, from the youngest to the oldest, that the needs of the people would not be a deterrent from loving you. The needs of the people would rather bring all of your people together to pray and to seek after your will, to seek after you, to seek after uh, your faith. Lord, we love you for the work that you are doing here. We love you for the work that you are doing through, uh, through Pastor James and through the elders, through the deacons, through everyone here. And we ask, oh God, that you would be pleased to bring about much fruit, that many would come to faith. We love you, Lord. We thank you that it is you who first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.